Welcome to New Life Baptist Preaching, where we grow in relationship, we grow in discipleship, and we grow in Jesus Christ. In this series, we enter a study of the letter to the Hebrews. In this study, we see how Jesus is better. He is the better revelation. He is the better priest. He is the better sacrificed. He is the better king. He brings the better covenant. So we hope that you join us as we grow together and learn more of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Subscribe so that you don't miss a single Lord's Day sermon. So last week, we received an exhortation to remain and build on the one true foundation of the faith, which uh, has been built upon the foundation of the teaching of the apostles, having Christ Jesus as our cornerstone. We were greatly encouraged in hearing that we will certainly without a doubt be built up into a blessing unto God and today we go deeper we answer the question from whence is our hope derived if it is certain that we will be built up into this household of the Lord on this strong foundation how can we know This morning, friends, we read of the sure anchor of our souls. And so if you've had a chance to turn there to Hebrews chapter 6, I welcome you to stand once again so that we may read verses 9 through verse 20. So the apostle writes, But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have showed toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister still. And we desire that every one of you do shew the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by greater and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel and confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge 
to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which, in, which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you in thanksgiving, seeing that you are and have provided an anchor for our souls this morning and always in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray that you do build us up into full maturity. Establish us on that strong foundation on Christ, our solid rock, that we might be this blessing and move on to greater, more heavenly things because of the sure and steadfast hope that you have given us in him. Lord, we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So we've heard that there is a strong foundation, only one foundation, no other foundation, no new foundation, no greater foundation that might be laid, no other options but this one. There's been a foundation laid and you're being built upon it, which is why he says after these strong exhortations that we're confident of better things for you. But when he continues this argument and he continues to encourage us this way, he reminds us of what is our first point, that God sees your estate. He sees you. He knows you well. Understand the confidence that the writer of Hebrews has in this salvation that God provides. Whenever we move from reading what we did last week of this heavy exhortation, realizing that any variation from this foundation already laid will fail to accomplish this salvation that we're being pointed to, that we're being built up and equipped in, Now we read that he hopes for so much more. We feel sure of better things for you and here is why. He says, God does not overlook your work and your love that you show for his name and for his saints. We're sure of better work for God's not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. What a statement. But is it right to declare God unjust should he overlook your works? 
That's what he just said here. Hopefully you read this with me. For God is not unrighteous to forget or to overlook your works, your deeds of love. That's what's being said here. That if he had overlooked that, would it be unjust? What could he mean by saying such a thing? You see, each one of us here, I think, you know the predicament of the sinner. You know, and we'll be reminded later in the book of Hebrews in chapter 10 that it's impossible to please God apart from faith. You say, well, how in the world? This is a bold statement to say that that God's not unjust as if he would be unjust if he overlooked what of your deeds that are good. We're reminded this morning for those who are Christian that you do have faith. We're speaking of the one who has faith, who's built up on that cornerstone, which is Christ. You have a, a faith that is pure, that is on this one God-man, Jesus Christ. It is a faith that is sure. We have hope of better things on you because you're built on this. And what is built on that? It's certainly not bad works. The good seed produces the good fruit. and Your good works are looked upon. This is the condition of the true Christian. I want to remind you of the strong words of the Second London Baptist Confession, which takes up this topic of the strong faith of the Christian. In chapter 17, paragraph 1, the framers write, those whom God has accepted in the beloved, effectually called and sanctified by His Spirit and given the precious faith of His elect unto can neither totally nor finally fall from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved, seeing the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Just to say he doesn't take them away from which source he still begets and nourishes in them faith, repentance, love, joy, hope, and all the graces of the spirit unto immortality. And though many storms and floods arise and beat against them, they shall never be able to take them off that foundation and rock which by faith they are fastened upon. Notwithstanding, though unbelief and temptations of Satan, the sensible sight of light and love of God may for a time be clouded and, and obscured from them, yet he is still the same. And they shall be sure kept by the power of God unto salvation, where they shall enjoy their purchased possession, they be being engraven upon the palm of his hands and their names having been written in the book of life from all eternity. You understand what's, what's being spoken to here are those who are built on that sure foundation who have Christ as their cornerstone. You have 
this precious faith given to you that cannot be shaken. It is that firm foundation. Did you sing with us this morning on Christ, that solid rock I stand? All other ground is sinking stand. It's a true testimony. You see, we're not talking about that supposed self-proclaimed faith that is tempted to build on other foundations like we were cautioned against last week. We know that the true follower who's made alive unto God by God and who possesses His Spirit, you, Christian, are a new creation, a blessing unto God, one who is fortified in the truth of God's Word. Remember, friends, we're we're having preached to us this Word of God that's building us to maturity, pulling us from the shallow gospel in which you were first saved and beckoning you to the deep end, the firm foundation, making you a tower unto God, established on that foundation in all that God has built up to this point. Remember the example of verse 7, the fruitful crop produces a blessing. The true child of God is a blessing when they work for Him, for His namesake, and for the church, His beloved bride. He does not overlook your works, Christian. He sees your estate and He moves you to even greater faithfulness. You see, this is the work of the apprentice. You're moving to greater things. Think of any difficult assignment or even something simple like driving a nail. How will you teach that to your children or the one who who has never been subjected to such a thing? At first you will hold their hand or put their hand on yours and you will start the nail in the wood, just an easy, soft block of wood where they might feel what you feel. And slowly you'll allow them to move to attempt this on their own. You'll teach them how to position their body. And as they begin their first attempts, then you'll begin to teach them more. You'll teach them to slide their hand back to the butt of the handle. You begin to show them to tighten up with the grip on the bottom fingers, to loosen the grip with the first fingers. You'll teach them to aim smaller, to drive nails into harder wood and in fewer swings. Slowly, they'll become useful on a job. But they still do not yet know the proper application for each nail. How will they choose the proper length, style, or tensile strength? They will need more rigorous training in order to bid the number of nails that will be required to complete a roof or some other task. 
And yet, will they understand the cost that might be factored in in order to bid a job? Or a price quoted for the project? Have they any idea how their work fits with the work of every other tradesman on that job? You see how we are in need of more and more difficult and rigorous training. There is always more to learn. And so we're encouraged to persevere. He says that we desire, that this writer desires that we continue in the earnestness that will produce the full assurance to the end. Not as sluggish or slothful, but as imitators of those who have faithfully gone before. In verse 12, we desire that you show the same diligence and full assurance of hope to the end, not as slothful, but imitators, followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. He gives us an example. We have the example of all those that have gone before. This is going to be a theme that he'll return to throughout the book of Hebrews. But read again with me verses uh, 15 through, or 13. Let's start there, 13 through 18. When God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, surely blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had plenty endured, he obtained, patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by something greater, something greater than themselves. He begins with Abraham. He's discussing origins here. We've read, even at the start of this letter, how God has revealed himself from the beginning and how he has finally through Christ. Whenever he brings up Abraham, it's not by happenstance or because he's a great example. It's because he's known as the father of the faith. He's discussing the origins of them as a people. What is the most basic and principal point of initiation that actually secures our salvation? Whenever he speaks of this, this more rigorous following and learning, this imitation of the ones who have gone before, he looks to the one who was first given this promise, at least of a people, or to be a blessing to the nations. The apostle tells us, he doesn't skip any, any beats. He goes right to the beginning and he says, God made a promise. If we are to ask how we are to imitate those who patiently endure, let's go to this one Abraham who patiently endured and secured the promise and understand that relationship better. 
We need to understand God's promise and God's oath. If it's true, Abraham patiently endured and he obtained this promise. What hinges on God's promise. Now it's not merely a promise. Though a promise from God is is immovable or immutable is what we read together. It's as immovable as He is. But what's more is God makes an oath. That way there are two unchangeable things which secure our salvation. So men do this. We swear by something greater. We take an oath for confirmation that's to them an end of all strife. So at the end of the matter, the oath secures or binds the man to his promise. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise these receivers, these inheritors of the blessing, the immutability, the unchangeability of His counsel confirms it by an oath that by two immutable, unchangeable things it was impossible for God to lie And now we have fled to refuge, lay hold upon a hope that's set before us in this oath he has taken. I want you to consider this argument. God has made a promise to man. He looks upon Abraham and he says in his his pagan land where he is here, he makes a promise, but then he establishes it with an oath. Now, we have all sorts of promises and obligations, don't we? Just us as individuals, members of our households. And and every, every promise that we have, every obligation in which we stand, it has its effects. Now, in something so basic, just realize uh, if it was your obligation to pick up milk at the store on the way home and you forget to pick up the milk, there, there are effects, right? That the recipe is not going to be completed. The kids may grow fussy or your beloved chocolate snack isn't going to have anything to wash it down. And yet, we have things that bind us even greater. Everything is not a cup of milk. We enter into oaths. We sign contracts. Things that are more binding upon us. This is what it is being compared to. Now God is good at His Word. He cannot tell a lie. This is the first unchangeable thing. He's God. He does not change. It is the doctrine of immutability. And yet he's taken an oath. This is why we as Christians speak so fondly of the covenants of God. This is the way God uh, interacts with man. He enters into covenant in in a binding way. This is something that secures 
our salvation. The writer of Hebrews is saying this binding sort of covenant, this oath which God has made, it is that which motivates our hope. You might ask, am I hearing you right? But pastor, are you saying that God is bound? That he's somehow obliged? That's precisely what I'm saying. That is what the text reads. It makes clear God has bound himself to the purposes he has set for those whom he will save. That is what the word said. God has sought out Abraham. He's made a promise and he didn't stop with the promise, but he makes an oath to Abraham. He swears by his own name. We don't get to do that. You don't get to swear by your own name. Especially in our day, we're past the good old days where you can shake a man's hand and look him in the eye and say, look man, I'm good for it. No. You need collateral. You need someone else's name. You need something greater, more stable than yourself that secures and makes surety for that deposit. The text explains this. When men make promises, they swear on something greater or more stable than themselves. That way there is something that holds as a proof or an assurance. And he says, God, in order to be entirely convincing, willing to be to more abundantly show to the heirs of this promise. He makes an oath upon his own name. So God, the writer of Hebrews is saying, is doubly bound. But how is this binding on God? This may be where some of you need to humble yourself a little bit. If the impossible occasion occurred in which God did not keep His Word, there would be nothing that you could do about it. There is no way for you to twist the arm of the Most High. There is no way for you to inflate your value to such the heights that you might change God in His own mind. However, what this passage shows is that that impossibility of God, who cannot lie to begin with, but this impossibility of God forsaking His promise is so ludicrous because to do so would require Him to deny His own name. He's made a promise. He secured it with an oath on His own name. There is nothing greater. 
It's no small matter. You understand this is what those who accuse God of being ineffective in offering salvation in some way, this is what they are guilty of. This is why that old Baptist doctrine is so important that we believe there is a perseverance of the saints. We believe that there is a security and assurance of salvation in Christ Jesus is because it's established on the name of God. He is not weak in his hand, but nor does he deny his own name and thereby reject his own godhood. In doing so, he would cease to be God. This is a strong argument the apostle has laid out here. The salvation that's offered is one that is sure. It is one that cannot fail. It rests on God Himself. He has sworn by His own name. That is the argument that is being made. Why else would the author go to such great lengths to express these things? He gives his reasoning in verse 18 and following that you might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. A strong consolation for those who have fled to the refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. And I want you to listen closely to what he says in verse 19 which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. The oath is based on something unchangeable because our salvation is unchangeable. It is not a picture of a shaky or an uncertain faith that can be lost. It is not the picture of a weak God who, who is pleading for your participation, acting as your cheerleader in life. No. It doesn't provide for an unthankful, unrepentant, or unholy Christian. It is a hope it is of a hope that the author speaks, a hope that is as strong as God Himself, who has sworn His oath upon His own name concerning His promises toward us, a hope which makes us certain of our outcome, a hope which is our stronghold and anchor in any storm of life, a hope that brings us behind the curtain where Christ has gone. This symbolizes the place where God's presence dwells. This is what the Christian has been drawn into. You've been drawn into the place where your face will be made to shine with the glory of God in the way that Moses' was. As you learn to commune daily with Him in Christ Jesus. 
In the way that like Moses, those outside the veil will beg of you to hide your face for fear of the God you serve. This, friends, should come as an encouragement to you. And indeed it does if you're a true Christian. What Hebrews is telling us is that Christian, you are built. If indeed you're a Christian, now I understand the church has been marred and that there are lots of liars that enter into our doors. That's not who we're speaking to. The writer of this word of God has said, you believer, you are established in Christ Jesus, are built on a firm foundation. What is that foundation? It, is, it has Christ as its cornerstone who has been given as a promise, not merely a promise, one that hinges on the identity of the Godhead. If your faith is shaky, if your salvation is shaky, if you think you can be lost or that you have chiseled away or that you're so much stronger than God in your rejection, either you're just not on this foundation at all because it can be shaken. It is God who has built it up. You're on a different foundation, friend. Who among us would buy a home that the inspector says is built on sand. The reality is, is you, you need to get onto the firm foundation and once you're on it, build. Build. You're sure of things. This is a foundation established by God. Isn't that encouraging to you this morning? That the inspector has come through and it's good. Isn't that what you want to hear? It's what you want to hear in your home. And now you have in, in the writer of Hebrews, he has said your foundation is sure. It is established on bedrock. It says Christ is its cornerstone and rests on God himself. He calls it a sure and steadfast anchor for your soul. Why would he use language such as that? But for you to be so certain, for you to be strong, for you to be established, not that you would boast in your strength or in your wisdom or in your riches, but what does Jeremiah 29, 29 say that you would boast? Let him who boasts, boast in this. That he knows me. That I am his God. You understand. That is what your faith must be founded on. Is God himself. And when it is. There is nothing that can shake you. Do you see how all of this can be? How you can be drawn into such fellowship. We can be built in to this glorious temple and abode for God to dwell in and in our midst. Why we might be so certain of these things. It is because of Christ. Our text says He has been the forerunner on our behalf. Having become this great high priest forever. Forever. 
after the order of Melchizedek. He's entered into that holy veil. And just to remind you of this picture, we have this tabernacle, this temple, where there is a holy of holies. Again, we're not all of the priests. Only the great high priest can enter into one time a year. Not, not so with Christ. Christ has entered into that veil where, where the presence of God dwells, where, where the, the glory of God would come and meet only with that high priest, only with Moses during that time now forever and always with Christ Jesus who has entered in and brings us in because the veil is torn. At the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, He ushers you in as your great high priest. You see, it's not a building up just in the law. It's not a building up of the flesh, but spiritually in the presence of this God upon whom the promises are secured. This hope, these promises, this glorious encouragement is fulfilled, granted, and secured in Christ Jesus. He is the better high priest after the better order. He holds this office forever, the text says, and does not depart from this office nor hand it to another. This is the hope that he has given and it will never fade. And hopefully you have realized this is the third time that we have read. As the author of Hebrews has argued patiently with those of us who should have already been teachers, he's argued patiently with us, pointing us to Christ Jesus, establishing us on him on his name, as a cornerstone, as a priest, as a forerunner, as all of these things. And for the third time we've read that he comes to us after the order of Melchizedek. We look forward to learning so much more of our risen Christ and what it means for him to, to come and to be after the order of Melchizedek in the coming weeks. That is central to what we are learning and what we are having preached to us from the book of Hebrews. Three times he's mentioned it. In the weeks that follow, he'll begin to dive into what does that mean? Why have I been telling you this over and again that he's come after the order of Melchizedek? And that is where we will pick up next week. But Christian, as we close, understand this. If you don't know this or haven't had this certainty of your faith, if you've been one who thought, well, I hope. I I, I hope so, I think. It's what I believe. I mean, I'm not sure. Believe it. The gospel that is preached to us from God's word is one that secures salvation. That I know for a fact, now I'm not saying I know what foundation you're built on, but I know if you're built on the foundation that has Christ as its cornerstone, there is no question of the salvation that it provides. There is not an if. 
There's not a hopefully so. There is a, a direct certainty to the salvation that might be had to the, to the one who professes their, their sin and repents of it and holds fast on the name of Christ. That's the salvation that you're offered. It's sure and there's no doubt. If you are a Christian, if you've come to Christ, hold that certainty. No carpenter builds on what he thinks is unsure. He tears it out and he makes sure what he has laid is good, secure, solid stone. We are being built up as sure workmen in the faith. So establish yourselves and build Exercise certainty whenever you engage uh, political uh, agendas. When we give truths to our political officials who are over this, whenever we declare this to our co-workers or to our family, you can give this gospel with certainty. And so this helps not just the unbeliever come to faith. It helps the believer become established and sure of your salvation. It helps you to evangelize with confidence. And friend, it gives you hope for those in your family who are yet unsaved. Those of your closest friends who are yet unsaved because you, friend, have a gospel that is sure to save. What your friends need, they don't need more Bible studies. They don't need more time in church. They don't need any offering to help pay their bills. They need Jesus Christ. Now it's up to you to take Him to them. Surely the workman has the tools. Surely the workman has the means. You've got, you've got all that you need here. You've got both sword and trowel. You, you, you've got the, the, the sword and shield. You've, you've got the word and everything that there is to build upon. The sure foundation. Now you take it. You take it with hope, believing that God can still, that this foundation is sturdy enough to be built upon you. That you're the sure work of God it's not all about you, but that others, other souls will be saved because of the work God is doing on and through you because it glorifies His Son who's the cornerstone. You see how all this fits together? You see how important this teaching is so that we might move on to better teaching? And so I want you to remain encouraged and I want you to be equipped so that we know it might be active and become this blessing to the Lord. Let's pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you because we do recognize we have a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. Lord, this is an encouragement. It's an encouragement whenever we recognize the, the spiritual warfare uh, that is being waged in our day, and even within some of our own homes, among some of our own families and extended families. And Lord, we know that there can be a certain, a certainty in our faith. Lord, that you establish us. Let us be established. Sure up our foundations. 
Lord, make us as individuals and as a people, as a fellowship and New Life Baptist Church, that we would be a stronghold for this faith, that we would be as a people, a spiritual dwelling place for you that's pleasing to you and that is as steadfast as the promise you have given that rests on the steadfastness of Christ who is our cornerstone, who is given on the steadfastness of your promise from whom cannot lie, Lord, but by also you've secured by the oath of your own name. Lord, we are established. We see that Christ is indeed building his church and we are it. Lord, we pray that you would continue to glorify yourself in the building up of this, your people. That many more spiritual stones would be laid. Lord, that we might be complete at your coming. Lord, we look to Christ and Christ alone. As we learn of all of these things, we seek that you might take the glory from all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us at New Life Baptist Preaching. We hope that you join us each Lord's Day in this study of the letter of Hebrews where we learn Jesus is better. Remember to subscribe so that you don't miss any sermons.